Hey, it's Anna. All throughout this spring, you have been sending us your stories about estrangement. Many of you have had a story to share. If you've listened to us for a long time, you know this is the kind of thing we do. We ask our listeners to share their stories about big, sweeping themes, and then you do. And then we get to put together beautiful collages of very specific stories about things that can be tough to talk about in our personal lives. We are still collecting your stories about estrangement. Please share an email or a voice memo with us about what you've gone through or are going through. It can be about the experience of separating from a particular relationship or even a community. Send those stories to us at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org. One thing that has come up as the team has talked about estrangement is whether breakups count. Like estrangement with breakups, there's a stark change something that was so close and intimate become shut off, past tense. But what's different is estrangement can feel like an extraordinary step, somewhat unusual, while breakups, they can feel so mundane and everyday that it can compound the pain, like you are deeply hurting and also you feel like a cliché. We made an episode all about breakups back in 2017, and it's still among my very favorite episodes. It's about your romantic breakups, but also other kinds of breakups. And we're sharing that with you again this week. I hope you enjoy it. That's the hard thing about breakups. They change you, and it's not easy to come back from. This is Death, Sex, and Money. The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot and need to talk about more. I'm Anna Sale. A breakup is one of those rare things in life where there's a clear before and after. You were together before, a team. Now you're separate and you're on your own. Cynthia Panalva went through her hardest breakup four years ago. He was my rock. He was my person. I really miss that. Her breakup was with her best friend. They'd been really close for about 15 years, starting when they were teenagers growing up in Miami. They went to the same church. Their families knew each other. They even worked together. So we saw each other like six days a week. And then one day, they had a conversation that changed everything. I remember that he was trying to beat around the bush. And I asked him, are you coming out to me? And he didn't answer that. And I, he was so scared telling me. And I was so scared for him. I was just worried for him. What were you worried about? I was worried that his family was going to disown him. And that it would change everything between us. So he heard you saying, you know, I'm, I'm worried for you. So mm-hmm. maybe, think, maybe think twice about whether you want to come out because you might lose a lot. Yeah. Which to him might have sounded like, don't come out. Yeah. Is there something you wish you'd said in that conversation that you didn't say? God, yeah. I relive that moment a lot. I wish I would have said, I'm here for you. How can I help? (laughs) Um, How can I make this easy for you? Or who is he? 
all, all I can't wait to meet him, that, that kind of thing. I wish I could have said that. Have you told him that? Yes. Yes, I've since tried many times to reach out and open things up and try and try, but I think it's too late. How's your life been different not having him as a close friend? Um, it's hard to catch other people up. That's something I heard a lot in your stories about breakups. The pain after a relationship ends doesn't just come from being alone. It's that you lost this person who knew you so well. How do you cut someone out of your life who is a part of you? I feel like no one talks about this. I called his mom, Mom. And then one day he said he was leaving the band. It really hurt. I just never really got the closure that I wanted. Breakups are personal. We've been collecting your stories for the past several months. You've sent in hundreds and hundreds of emails and voice memos exploring all the dimensions of a breakup. Being left. She was really cold and really rude. Hey, we've got to talk. She just didn't look at me in the eyes. It's not you, it's me. And of course, those are the worst words ever. And we heard from a lot of you who did the breaking up. I told my husband that I was done. Our relationship sucked. I wasn't going to change and he wasn't going to change. I don't want this to be my life. Do you think you've decided that this isn't going to be a forever relationship for you? I feel like every time I decide that, oh, okay, this is, I'm done. It's just, he's so sweet. (laughs) Going through all your breakup stories, I was reminded how the hardest part can be the lead-up to a breakup, especially when you're the one considering leaving. This just seems like a way to, to just wipe the slate clean and start over and just kind of burn my life down as it is and, and rebuild it. This listener, who I'll call Steve, is thinking about breaking up with his boyfriend. He's in his mid-30s. He was 19 when they started their relationship. I don't know really what it's like to not be in one, um, at least as an adult. Like, you know, part of me wants the freedom to not feel like I have to, you know, text if I'm running late or decide on, you know, what we want for dinner together. Um, Are you bored? Yeah, yeah. Why haven't you broken up? Um, because, because I love him and I don't want to hurt him. Um, and, you know, I, I, I am scared of being, you know, older and alone and, and unable to kind of find somebody else if I, if I wanted another long-term relationship. Do you think you're going to break up? Um, I mean, point blank, completely honestly, no. My guilt is that I know he is open to fixing this, and I, I, I worry that I'm not, I'm going to basically keep staying in the relationship and resenting him for keeping me in a relationship that is perfectly good, but that I still just wonder about. A few days after we talked, Steve sent us an email. I regret saying I resent my boyfriend, Steve wrote. He loves me enthusiastically and without reservation, and I resent my own inability to fully return that love. When it's more about you than your partner, breaking up can be really confusing. You can't just blame everything on the person you're leaving. A listener named Mia sent in a voice memo about deciding to break up with her boyfriend after six years. It's a choice she still struggles with. I realized I just wasn't happy. 
it wasn't anything that he had said or done. So I left. One day, about six months after we broke up, I told him that I couldn't talk to him on the phone anymore because it just made me too sad. Shortly after, he met a girl, and I've never heard from him again. That was three years ago. I think that breakups aren't black and white. Even if you break up with someone, that doesn't mean that it's not ripping your heart out. But breakups are not always sad. They can feel like a liberation, especially if you invest a lot of time and energy trying not to break up. That's how it felt for Beth in Philadelphia when she left her marriage after eight years. I mean, I fell out of love with this person. And I was just so racked with guilt for a very long time about how I had committed in front of all these people to to stay with them through thick and thin. And it gave me so much shame to think that I could change my mind. What was the moment when you realized, I have to, I have to get out of this relationship? I was, uh, I mean, there was all these, there were so many little signs and And then one day, I ride my bike a lot everywhere I go, so I spend a lot of time thinking on my bicycle rides. And I was in the middle of a commute, and then, and I was just, you know, every day I would think about what what we were going through and what should I do and how can I fix this. And and then just completely involuntarily, I just choked out the words, I don't want to be married. You said it out loud. Yeah. It's like I just couldn't hold it in any longer. Beth's husband moved out within a few months. Their divorce was finalized a year later. And then, oddly enough, I <laughs> I met someone very quickly and got remarried. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Which is the last thing I thought I would have wanted. It just kind of happened. Do you wish you'd initiated the divorce sooner? Yes. Or just the... I just wish I'd been more honest about my feelings sooner. It could have... I think it could have spared us both a good deal of pain. We're just not meant to be in relationship with each other, and that's okay. Honesty and directness are key to Javon Evans's breakups. She sent in this voice memo from Canada. She describes herself as a serial breaker-upper, and she has it down to a science. I prepare a speech. Like, bullet point notes. I definitely like to do it face-to-face because I want that person to be able to have their fair share and say their piece because I know that the reason like that people go back to each other is because they didn't say everything or didn't explain or communicate everything that they felt during the breakup and nope like I am not doing this back and forth with you of course you don't always get the opportunity in a breakup to say your piece sometimes your relationship is just over with no warning that's what happened to a listener named Drew in Iowa 
I, I think I've always been a person like you could tell me if you didn't want to be with me or if something was wrong. It was about a year into their relationship when Drew's boyfriend asked him to take care of his dog while he went out of town. He told Drew he'd be back in a week. One week turned into two or three, turned into a month, turned into a couple months. And eventually, by the time the fall came around, uh, it had become apparent to me, or at least I'd come out of my own delusion, I guess, that uh, he wasn't coming back. Do you know why he left your relationship? I don't. I don't. And um, to this day, that's really the most difficult part about it. Just, you know, the imagination just spins up and you end up concocting narratives and what ifs and what did I do wrong, you know, um, assigning blame. And and that's like that's the most damaging thing. Also causing damage was his boyfriend's dog. This dog had a lot of separation anxiety. And eventually after destroying a couple different kennels, he he just burrowed right through the wall to get out and to to try to get to me. And there was, like, no interaction about the issue. Like, you know, trying to call, trying to text, and just not having any response. Like, that was that was obviously the first signal of the, the road down to, you know, recognizing that this, this had been over and I, I wasn't informed. Mm. Did you get angry? At first, yeah. And as a matter of fact, I, it was the following summer he, he was in town very, very briefly. And I agreed to have lunch with him. At that point, I was resentful, but about all I could muster was to just say, hey, this was, uh, this was fucked up. And uh, I just left it at that. That's amazing. I would, ha- I would come up with other things to say than just that. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. <laughs> that was about all I, could, all I could muster. What kind of relationship do you have with the dog? Uh, actually, very good. You know, it's, it's, it's been kind of funny because... It's the best part of my day because when I walk in through the door or after getting home from work, the dog goes absolutely apeshit. Hmm. And, uh, and so it's actually been kind of nice to have him around. And just one final question. You noted in your email that, you, that you're not in touch. Do you, do you know what he's doing now? I, I don't. Um, I guess sort of the uh, a little bit darker part of me, you know, when I'm, sleepless at night every once in a while just google his name just to make sure no obituaries come up drew wishes he could know why their breakup happened but with no communication he has to figure out how to move on without any answers a lot of you had different opinions about whether staying in touch after a breakup was the right move Sometimes, though, a clean ending isn't even possible. You have to figure out how to move forward together, like when you're related. When that moving van pulled out of New York, it did feel like, screw you, in a way. Matthew Slutsky wrote in about his relationship with his identical twin brother. They're 35 years old, and for their whole lives, they've been close, really close. You know, we lived together. We did a lot of work together. They went to the same college. We wrote, please consider our applications together. They got engaged the same summer. And then uh, same thing with our weddings. They lived in the same neighborhood in Brooklyn. They even had the same car, Honda Civics, different colors. We always were, I think, expected to kind of 
move in one stream. And so we, we did that. That's Peter, Matthew's twin. A few months ago, he moved with his wife and baby to Philadelphia, where the twins grew up. Matthew says it felt like he was dumped when Peter moved away. It was the final blow after a few years of drifting apart that started when they both had kids. Parenting between brothers, like, doesn't happen. Parenting happens between partners and spouses. And this structure that we had built, this this way of being in the world, I feel no longer was supported and no longer possible when we had kids. And for me, that was really the hardest time was trying to keep that sameness at a time when things were diverging and when we had two very different, amazing, but different children in front of us. But it is kind of cool that we had this chance to, you know, meet these two new kids and bring them into these separate lives, which is something that we've never had the ability to really do before. Hmm. They, your daughter saw you as an individual without your brother. She's, yeah, she sees me as an individual. And, you know, I really do think that as part of that, I am starting to see myself as an individual. I think that's one of the dynamics that's come out of fatherhood, um, this opportunity to, you know, be my own person and to do this in a way that is really me and, and not the team, not the Slutsky brothers. But now Matthew and his family are considering their own move to Philadelphia. Of course, whenever I tell anyone that we're considering this, they say, of course you are, because your brother did. And, like, that is a dagger in my in my side. I mean, that really hurts. Um, and I want to make sure that I'm perfectly clear within myself that if we move, it's our decision that is in the best interest of our family. And if we do it, making sure that it's a different relationship that we have and that I'm not doing it because my brother did. I mean, I... I've heard stories of, like, married couples that get divorced and then get remarried and think about their second marriage as, like, the first. And if and when we do move closer together and kind of get that physical closeness back, I I really want it to be a new relationship. Coming up, he emailed all our friends and he wanted support to, about returning. I felt like, how can I trust him? More about what happens after breakups, including one woman's story about rebuilding a marriage after her husband left her for his grad student. My daughter <laughs> discovered he was on Facebook with her. So I got furious, and so he unfriended her. This episode is brought to you by Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he will chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalyst for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. We have had a lot of exciting new things to share with you about the show recently, but this might be some of our biggest news yet. 
Death, Sex, and Money is officially going to be live in New York City at the Tribeca Festival on June 11th. And I want to personally invite you to the live taping we'll be doing with the legendary journalist Kara Swisher. If you know Kara's work, you know her ability to get people to tell her things is unmatched. And she does it in her signature, hard-charging way. She's not afraid of things getting a little combustible. I have a slightly different interview style, so we're going to talk about that and play around with that in experimental ways that I think will make this a special show unlike any of our other live shows up to this point. And it's not often that I get to do a live Death, Sex, and Money show in New York, so I really hope to see you there. Whether you're in the city, on the East Coast, or just been looking for a reason to visit New York City, come on June 11th for this show. You can get tickets now at TribecaFilm.com slash Death, Sex, Money. We are so excited to see you there. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. After a breakup, there is the recovery from a breakup. And it can be really hard to predict how long that will take. When we broke up, there's there was a span of like half a year, a year, when I still thought fondly of her. I mean, I think that's what they say about heroin users, right? You just remember the the good times. This is Simon. That's not his real name. The bad things that happened, the fights, the violence, it it wasn't part of the memory. Simon wrote in about a relationship that ended about two and a half years ago. He met his girlfriend at a bar. Soon after, they were spending every night together. But their relationship was a tumultuous one. There was a lot of fighting. Sometimes, he says, things got physical. There was a time when, uh, you know, I think she had picked me up from work and another fight broke out. She said, that's it, I'm driving you home. And some point in, you know, within a couple miles from her house, she just, you know, hauled off with a closed fist and cracked me in the face uh, once, twice, three times in a row. Punched you? And, oh, yeah, right, right, right kind of in the, uh, the cheek, cheekbone area. Did it hurt? Oh, yeah. You don't really anticipate how someone, how hard someone can hit until you actually get hit by him. It was, uh, you saw, I saw a few stars. Did you think about leaving the relationship right then? No, and I think that's when, I I really do think that's when I realized I was experiencing what I, I had girl friends who had domestic violence issues before. And of course it was always like, why don't you just leave? And when I would think about leaving, it was like, you know what? It, the things that I'm in it for outweigh those, you know, once a month blow up fights. Did you tell anyone she was violent with you? Not for a while. Um, when I would talk to friends about it, my friends would either say like, you know, well, it's not that big of a deal. You know, you're a guy just, you know, hold her arms down until she stops. Or it it was shock and appalled that they couldn't see it from the outside when it was going on. Could you just hold her arms down? No. The fighting continued. 
And Simon told me it got worse. There was one night where she pushed me down a half a flight of stairs in the apartment. He broke up with her after that. They got back together. And then she broke up with him. It's not to say that I didn't try to get back with her a few other times, which I think is the nature of, you know, domestic violence against you. You know, you just always feel like, well, maybe that was right where I needed to be. Or maybe it was something that I actually did wrong this whole time. Did she break your heart? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I think that even now, I think it's still broken. If you could be back together with her, would you? That's a that's a question I think I I deal with maybe more often than I'd like to admit. But yeah. I think there's there's plenty of things I think back and she unwittingly became the the measuring stick from which I compare all of the relationships to. Whether it be the you know ability to be emotionally vulnerable or the the personality types, the witty exchanges or or the sex. I mean everything is always used as uh, well I've had better. And I I do sincerely worry that I might not ever have better. And that's an uncomfortable thing to admit when the person who I'm talking about could make me feel scared for the for my life. All the things that have been threatened just by the things that she's done. It's really uncomfortable to say. But yeah, I think I would. I think about why do people return to someone who's hurt you so much? And I just felt like we had too much between us. Nan Bauer Maglin and her husband are one of those couples for whom a breakup didn't last. She was 60 years old when they split up. Her husband was 61. He fell in love with his student who was 25, and it came as rather a great shock, actually. What was it like those first days after he moved out? Terrible. I thought I, you know, I thought about suicide. Um, you know, this great feeling of rejection, and especially I think if you're older, um, you feel like an older woman who will never have another, you know, relationship, and you you just feel ugly and invisible and sad and and quite gray. The the feeling of grayness was very strong. Hmm. Did you stay in touch with him after he moved out? Yeah, we did, and I, that might have I. It might have been a mistake. I kept debating it. We emailed every day, and we talked almost every day, except on weekends. <laughs> but then after about a year, a year and a half, I just decided I, I didn't want to do that. I had, If I wanted to move on, I had to let go. And so we stopped. And it was pretty soon after that that he decided he wanted to return. And it was very hard because I felt like, how do I know this is going to be it? But... Then again, I mean, we had 25 years between us and a family and everything, and I just, I wanted to return to that relationship. 
Hmm. How did you deal with the humiliation of your friends witnessing this whole thing and and then reconciling? Well, I don't think I dealt with it well. I felt very humiliated, very embarrassed, very ashamed in certain ways, and like a failure. Um, you know, I felt all my rhetoric um, about being a strong, independent woman was sort of undermined and revealed that actually all I wanted was to be in a couple. Um, and a number of my friends were very angry that I decided to return to him and didn't want to talk to him and didn't want to see us. But actually, I learned some things from the breakup. What did you learn that, that you wanted to change? Well, I learned that I was too negative and that I nagged and that little things bothered me. And all of that went away when we returned. I just wasn't important anymore. Like her husband, Nan was a college professor. And after they got back together, she published a book about the experience of being broken up with as an older woman. She titled it Cut Loose. First, I was going to call it Dumped. But that's so negative. You're cut loose. You're betrayed. You're, you're, they break up with you. But Cut Loose is also about freedom. I sort of knew that I could be on my own and that um, I had friends, and I was very committed to keeping all my relationships. Nan and her husband were together for 13 more years. And then this past summer, he suddenly got sick. He died a week after being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. The horrible part was that we didn't have really time to talk about anything or to talk to each other or talk to the kids because it was so fast. Did your time apart and when you were broken up, did did the feelings of abandonment from back then resurface in any way? It did, and I thought a lot about the similarities and differences hmm. to that experience. What felt the same? The same was that I knew I was going to be totally lonely, and there was a sense of anger I think people feel that when someone dies. I thought, you know, why did he do this? <laughs> Didn't he know it was going to be so hard? But I knew he couldn't help himself, <laughs> whereas the first time I was angry and he could have helped himself. Um, but it's it's much better because I don't feel rejected. Do you feel cut loose at all now? Yes. <laughs> yes. I think death cuts you loose and, and also um, pushes you towards, if you're older, towards thinking about dying a lot. In some ways, I would like to die because I miss him a lot. But also, I don't want to die because I want to see all the kids grow up and the grandkids, I mean, the, ki the kids are grown up, the grandkids, and I want to see them prosper. Yeah. When you think back on your, on your marriage and your love story with your husband, do you think it's a good one? Oh, entirely, even the bad parts. <laughs> um, but I also feel the loss a great deal.
you know the, the stages of grief. I kind of went through all of those. Um, I started reading more about like divorce and death. And you said death. Uh, yes, like divorce as a death in the family, like just the stages of grief and how to allow yourself to grieve. A woman we're calling Michelle is going through a divorce right now. She called me while her five-year-old daughter was at school. I have somebody looking up at me, depending. She depends on me for everything, so she's just sad. You're being watched by someone that you want to protect. Absolutely. And I mean, I can't have those ugly, like, breakdown moments. You, you know, like, I can't let her see me that way. Some, I mean, sometimes, like, I'll snap at her and I'll apologize later. But, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I kind of am grieving in silence. And uh, at night when she goes to bed, but when she's not here, you know, maybe sometimes when I'm at work, like, I'll have a breakdown on the way to the car or whatever, you know, like. What is it that you're crying for? I thought we were better than this, you know? Mm. I thought we were better than the infidelities, the resentment, the the contempt, all, you know, all of the stuff that happens and builds up in, in marriages throughout years, just like grows and then it explodes, you know? I mean, there was so many things wrong in the marriage and I'm glad that I made the decision that I did, but it's still just incredibly sad because I feel like I, I broke my daughter's heart, you know, and that's, that is maybe one of the toughest things, you know. Yeah. When your daughter is not around, when you're by yourself, when, when a wave of sadness hits you, what do you do? I close my eyes, I go into myself, and I just focus on my breath, and I just say over and over in my head, and I'm just saying, like, focus on me, I have to focus on my breath. That's the only thing that I can control, focus on my breath. The only thing that I've got going for me is that I'm breathing, trying to remember that still breathing. This listener, whom we're calling Thomas, sent in this voice memo. He's also right in the middle of a divorce. I'm not sure if I'm mourning for the relationship or for the waste of time. It's hard to see that there was really any value in the relationship at all. Thomas is 25. He and his wife got married right out of college. Two years in, he found text messages she was sending another man. That was the first time, and the, and we tried fixing things after that, but that didn't work, and there was a second time. So this kind of, this kind of repeated. And, and that was really difficult for me, and, and my house felt like a hostile place. So I asked her to leave. And you're 
You're young. You're at an age when I imagine many of your friends are not married. Do you know do you know many people who've gone through divorce? Not really, actually. Um, at least growing up, I never knew anybody who was divorced. Um, I have met a couple of people through work more recently, but but that's it. I I really don't know anybody. How much are you talking with your ex? Frequently. What are you talking about? We rely on each other for emotional support to, because, like, we're the only people who understand what, what happened to the other person. She reassures me that things are going to go all right. Are you looking forward to your divorce being final? In some ways, uh, but only, I think those ways will be very fleeting. The scariest part for me is what else comes with that, because I have to figure out where to live. Um, I have to just figure out who I am. <laughs> but every, t- every box that I get to check, I get closer to having to be on my own and figure out my own shit. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah. I got divorced when I was 30. Do you have any questions for me? So many questions. (laughs) (laughs) How do you look back on your marriage? Your first marriage? Oh, that is a big question. (laughs) 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 Oh, with many answers. I look back on it now. And, um, and it feels like a completely different version of my life. Um, feels like a, a long time ago. I also think of it now like with a kind of um, compassion for both of us because we were young and we were figuring out a lot together. Mm -hmm. But I definitely feel like after that marriage was over, I felt stronger than I had ever had. Like, I never, it just summoned more from me than I had ever been asked of before, you know? Like, it's like, when everything was wiped away, like, what did I want to build back? Um, And that was terrifying. And it also was, like, such an incredible opportunity because you get to think about what are the things that you want in your life and what's important. Well, that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. That's a listener we called Thomas. Since we first ran this episode five years ago, the listeners I talked to have experienced some big changes. Thomas told us he's now engaged. 
He and his fiance started dating in the fall of 2020, and they're planning to get married later this year. He actually emailed that update from a vacation they were taking together in Tuscany. Cynthia told us that as a result of the episode, she reconnected with her childhood best friend. She says their friendship is better than it has ever been, and she actually moved in with Ben, and they quarantined together in 2020 while she finished her PhD dissertation. Beth, who told us about the exhilarating period after the end of her first marriage, is remarried and lives with her husband and four-year-old in the Philadelphia suburbs. She said she loves her family and also misses those post-breakup days of eating black olives from a can for dinner and being alone. Drew, whose breakup came as a complete surprise, says it's still the best part of his day to come home to his dog. He's happier than ever with his current boyfriend and writes, with any luck, there won't be any more breakup stories coming from me. And Nan is now 80, and she told us that she started dating a year after her husband died. She met a man she liked, and they've been seeing each other for four years. And me? My divorce was 11 years ago now. I will celebrate my seventh wedding anniversary with my husband, Arthur, this summer, along with our two little kids. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios in New York. Our team is Julia Furlan, Zoe Azule, Afi Yellow-Duke, Emily Botin, and Andrew Dunn. Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, and Adriana Rush contributed to this episode. Our intern is Lily Clark. The Reverend John Delore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. You can email our show at deathsexmoney at wnyc.org with your reactions, your stories, or story ideas. And subscribe to our weekly newsletter at deathsexmoney.org slash newsletter. And remember, breakups are losses, but they make way for something new. For Beth, the woman who decided to get divorced on her bike ride, a new ritual provided some comfort after her ex moved out and took most of their furniture with it. It was so empty, and I have these like beautiful hardwood floors, and so I would just dance. I would get home from work, and I would drink some wine, and then just play all the terrible music that I, I wasn't encouraged to listen to <laughs> during my marriage. Is there a particular song that you remember dancing to? A lot of Enya. (laughs) (laughs) You really Um, went there. You're like self-care, man. (laughs) My poor neighbors. (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, 
Our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.